Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. It's a privilege to come and to spend our Lord's Day uh, morning here and then in the evening uh, to follow. But my wife and I and our son, uh, Ben, have been looking forward to our trip, our uh, kind of time away from home here. But it's starting very especially as we're able to spend a couple days with the Myers family and be with you on this Lord's Day morning. We're so thankful for friends uh, that not only just share uh, time and fellowship together and you love the Lord together, but that challenge our lives. Uh, we love to be around uh, the Myers. We always leave with uh, feeling convicted in various areas in a good way, you know, ready to ask the Lord to help us uh, to grow that part of our, of our walk. It isn't Christian friendship wonderful that way. In, uh, in challenging us. And we just, we love to be uh, with our friends and are so glad to be with you this morning and able to open to the book of Colossians together. Now, I almost expected when uh, Pastor mentioned that I was going to try to tackle the whole book today to see a few try to slip out maybe during the prayer time or uh, hopefully that, that's not uh, going to be translated into any longer of a time. Uh, but uh, we are going to try to tackle this uh, wonderful book this morning, very important book uh, in the New Testament. And so we cannot dwell, uh, obviously, on many uh, passages for long here. We're going to touch on a number of portions uh, of this special letter from the Apostle Paul to a church, to the church in Corinth. Have you ever looked at a plant and wondered if it was really a plant or if it was a plastic, you know, an artificial plant. I remember being in a shop and uh, we saw something that would look nice on our, you know, table uh, in, uh, at our home. And so we bought it, but we weren't even sure at first, I don't think, if we were buying something that we need to water or something that's, a, you know, an artificial plant, well, one thing about artificial plants, they don't need water, do they? Uh, you're, you're not going to find, if they have a flower there, you're not going to find any bees coming in the window and landing on that. There's nothing to attract bees. They're certainly not going to have any fruit to come from that. They're just artificial. In fact, sometimes they look a little too perfect. You know, you can tell the real thing by some, some spots or some... Uh, faded leaves, you know, uh, you can see, oh, there, there's genuineness there. And in Colossians, we find the Apostle Paul writing to this church and praising them for genuineness. Now, I don't know that everyone in the church that day when this letter was read was a believer uh, in Jesus Christ. I'd really come to experience the new birth and and find that their sins were, uh, were forgiven. They were safe in Jesus. They were saved gloriously by him. I don't know that everyone was a believer, but Paul could speak to the majority of them there. He could speak to the church generally. And let's look what he says in chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. He says, We give thanks to God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope 
which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? Here, the gospel had not just come to them and been a message that they listened to. They maybe said they believed, but then just went on with their life. No, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the only Savior, who he is, what he did on the cross, the victory of his resurrection, that sinners can be saved by grace, can have their sins forgiven. This gospel message and and all of its different parts had come and not just come into their ears. No, they had opened their hearts to it. They had put their trust in Jesus alone as their Savior. They experienced that that new birth. The gospel now was was seen for its genuineness in it, the fruit that it was bearing in their life, in their walk with the Lord, in their relationship with with the Lord as the Holy Spirit and their life was producing spiritual fruits. And Paul mentions here their love for one another, that, that bond that drew them together as a believers that, that the world cannot know. He mentions that hope. Uh, their lives were pointed towards a glorious future uh, when God will be glorified, uh, when the troubles of of this world, when the rebellion, the nations raging against God, one day that will be no more. And God will receive the the full-hearted worship and and glory from his people. And they have this hope. They live, not just looking at the problems around, they live with this hope of moving them and motivating their lives. And we see here, Alongside of this, their faith, they're learning to to live, trusting God, living on the basis of who they are now as believers in Jesus Christ. And they can can day to day continue trusting God as they they grow in the things of God. And the fruit that is coming out of their life, it's a testimony that the gospel is not just a nice story to listen to. It is the power of God unto salvation. But there's a lot of fake, isn't there, in this world that comes under the name of Christian and claims to be Christian, but it has no life. I think of one of the men in our church in the Cape who's not known the Lord very long. Uh, But Vujani went to visit a, a, a doctor, a woman, and he asked about the receptionist. He knew this man that was uh, working as the receptionist. Where is he? And the woman answered that, uh, well, he's very sick. He stole a lot of uh, money from me. He stole a lot of the medical supplies, and now he's very sick. And in fact, he's probably going to die. And Vujani said, oh, that's, that's terrible. Are you as a doctor able to help him? Her response was, why should I do that? He stole all this from me. In fact, I prayed to God and my ancestors to judge him. Why should I help him when this is the answers to my prayers? And I said, Vujani, does she think of herself as a Christian? He said, yes, she does. She claims to be a Christian. There's nothing, that's not genuine Christianity. That's false. That's artificial. That's That's a life that, to call itself Christian, that's the lie of the devil. That's what the devil wants people to think, that that's genuine 
Christianity. Buyani said, I was able to talk to her about forgiveness and about Jesus Christ. Here's a new believer who has come out of the type of thinking of this one that he's talking to now and trying to point her to Jesus and to genuineness. Knowing the life of the believer, uh, there is a genuineness. There's a fruitfulness. There's not a perfection. We're not in heaven yet, right? But there's a growth and grace. There is a forgiveness of a lifetime of sin judicially because of what Jesus did on the cross. But then there's a growth in grace. There's a, a daily confessing our sins for, for restored fellowship, right? But there is that genuineness. Paul's writing to, to the Colossians and he's praising and encouraging them in what God is doing in their lives and the genuineness of faith that's being put on display. But Colossae was in a place where false teachers were coming in. Uh, Colossae was about, if you think of the country of Turkey, you know, on the West Coast would have been uh, that mighty uh, city of Ephesus. Well, if you travel about uh, 200 kilometers east on a Roman road, okay, I'm taking you back to the first century. So traveling a Roman road through valleys and gorges and along the river, and you eventually, after 200 kilometers or so, would come to three towns, Another uh, major road was crossing in that area. So there's a lot of travelers uh, going, passing through there. And yet Colossae was one of those towns. False teachers were coming in. False teachers were trying to mix other beliefs, philosophies, keeping various rituals, perhaps traditional things, perhaps even uh, some taking from some Old Testament things and trying to claim that keeping the law is part of earning favor, earning merit with God to try to be, be saved. They were trying to bring them back under uh, law in order to save, mixing that with the gospel. We see different things in this book. It seems to be quite a mixture, mixture that's being brought. But there apparently was, as part of this, a fear of spirits in the unseen world. And these false teachers were claiming that they had to do certain things, experience certain things and rituals to protect themselves from what was going on in the unseen world. It's not enough to believe in Jesus Alone, but you need to add to that other religious things to protect yourselves. That seems to be exactly with what the Colossians were being tempted with. Well, how does this letter that God gives us and the word of God and, and this letter uh, from Paul to this Colossian church, how does it answer that? It clearly answers by pointing to who Jesus Christ is to the completeness of the Savior. If you'll look ahead to me in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, say, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay, everything that God is, all of those qualities of God is found in the Son of God. But the Son of God became one of us so that he could be our Savior. 
God became man in the person of Jesus Christ without giving up anything of what he was as God. So we have the Holy Son of God, the God-man in Jesus, who is Jesus Christ. And we see here that he is complete. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's not lacking anything. He's complete. Let's look at the next verse. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Paul's encouraging these believers. You're being tempted by some false teaching to go back into some old beliefs, some old ideas, and you're being tempted that you need to fear those things, and that fear is pulling you into some, some old ways uh, if, if, you don't, if you're not careful. But you need to look to Christ and see that he's a complete Savior. And believers find their completeness in him. We don't need anything added. We don't need any added ritual. Christ is all in all. We see in this letter that we find our completeness in him because he is preeminent. He is over all. Would you look at that with me in chapter 1? Starting with verse 15, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. Now we could spend our whole morning just taking this apart. Let's touch on a couple of things here. He is, first of all there in verse 15, the image of the invisible God. Now we've all looked at a coin and seen an image that is there. We probably have not seen in the press, you know, we've probably not gone to the place where the press stamped that, uh, that image on that coin, but we know what that piece looks like because we see the coin. And it has impressed a certain image on that coin so what we, can't, what we haven't seen before, we, we know about because we see the coin. And in a similar way, we see that Christ is the image of God. You might pause and think, well, Genesis tells us that we were all created, what's, what word should I say? In the image of God. In a certain sense, we in our small, finite way, we reflect more so than the rest of the creation in certain ways, we reflect what God is like. You know, we can think on a level that no other animal can think. Animals can think. God's given them a certain ability. But as a, as a professor I had uh, decades ago, I remember saying, animals cannot think about thinking. Only humans can do that. 
God has given us an ability, a certain level of ability that we can actually have a relationship with him. And in certain, and we could talk about a lot of other ways if we wanted to, but in different ways, we in our small way, and even corrupted by sin, okay, but in our small way, in its ideal, uh, we reflect something of what God is in his perfection. Of course, for him, it's holy, it's absolute. Ours is marred, it's limited, it's distorted many times. We are created in the image of God. That's not what it's saying about the Son of God. That's not what it's saying about our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not in the image of God. He is the image of God. He puts on display who God is. But he could do it walking this earth in a human body. We have that word bodily there. You know, he is the creator, it says here. All things were made by him. There was nothing created that was not created through the son's activity. All things. It says that he was before all things. And by him, all things consist. They literally hold together. You know, scientists can study. They can get right down on the uh, atomic level and study particles. And... But what actually holds those atoms together? We can study about electrons and neutrons. And I don't know if any of the uh, young people in science now are into uh, studying some of those, the elements and different things. But we can we can. Try to learn what we can on an atomic level, but we get to a point that the scientists don't have a clue. What actually holds things together? We talk about electric charges and all that, but really we we get beyond ourselves and we know that the Son of, it's by the Son of God that all things hold together. And we're talking about everything in creation, so we're not just talking about the physical world. We're talking about the unseen world as well. So the question is, what is there to fear if someone is a believer in Jesus Christ, if they're genuinely saved? What is there to fear? To be in, safe in Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? He's the one that created everything seen and that we we can't see. Any spirits, okay, anything in the unseen world, he created them all. He's the one that holds everything in existence. Why would we fear something from the unseen world when it had to be created originally uh, without sin, you know, uh, before the fall, but created by the Son of God maintained in existence by the Son of God. Nothing can challenge God. He holds everything in existence. It's a very comforting thing as a believer to think I'm in Jesus Christ and he's the creator and he's the sustainer and he's the reconciler. He's the one that's going to bring all things to peace under his headship, under his control and it's going to be all glory to God. All rebellion's going to be put down one day. Part of, we see in Colossians, part of that as well, 
that, uh, that work of redeeming, the reconciling things back to a, to a right relationship with God. Again, putting down rebellion. And part of that is the good news of the gospel going out. And sinners putting their trust in Jesus alone as their Savior. And coming to peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And being a part of the, the people of God. And knowing his, being part of his, his kingdom and serving him uh, in the world. While we wait for our Lord Jesus to return. We are complete in him because he is preeminent over all, but also because he is our righteousness. For every believer in Jesus Christ, I tell people often, I'm not going to heaven because of any righteousness that I have. It's Jesus' righteousness. It's a gift. We see here in Colossians chapter 2, Partway through, we start hearing about these false teachings. These false teachers are trying to bring other philosophies, other ideas. They're trying to bring uh, these Colossian believers back into uh, a bondage, to some rituals, to some religious experiences, to some things that are not from God. And they will... Be encouraged by Paul here through God's word that they also need to remember their completeness in Christ is because Christ is the one who's the righteousness of the believer. Would you look at chapter 2? First of all, in verse number 3 here. I'm sorry, I'm glancing down at uh, the wrong place. Verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Can we skip down to verse 8? Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So there's things that are brought in. And there's a temptation for these followers of Jesus Christ to be confused by rituals. It says here, by philosophy, it mentions tradition of men. Okay, it's not from God. This is what people have come up with. It goes on to say the rudiments of the world. It's like the basics, basic elements. This, this is, this is a bit of a challenging term here. Actually, I have a, a, a book in particular that really studies out Colossians, and it tries to, uh, to look and to trace and to figure out what exactly were these false ideas that were being brought in and that they were being tempted with. And for this term alone, it, it says these words, if you look back and see how they were used, it gives like nine different possibilities. It, it means basic things, like it can mean the ABCs if someone's learning like the English uh, language, that type of thing. It can mean letters like that, okay? It, it can mean basic uh, 
principles or ideas in teaching something. Uh, it, could, it would be used for basic elements that, uh, in the ancient beliefs, you know, that the world was, uh, was made up of certain elements. But then it could go on to be used of the spirits that were connected with certain objects and things. And that's what fits best the idea here in Colossians. There's a great emphasis on principalities and powers in the unseen world in this letter. And it seems to be these false teachers were coming and they were trying to get people fearful of unseen things and following certain rituals or certain traditions to safeguard themselves against these things. Well, the message of the gospel and the message of Colossians is to look to Jesus, the complete Savior. There's no need to fear false idea, what false ideas are, are tempting us to as we look to the Lord Jesus. There's no need to fear these uh, spirits that were connected with these ideas, uh, these philosophies, these elemental things, these rudimentary things of the world. But he points them to Christ. Traditional wisdom brings man's ideas. We need to trust what God has revealed to us of his truth and rest in that. You know, when we rest in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as the complete one, which you look in chapter 2 and verse 14, we see blotting out handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Okay? Uh, legal things. Yes, we, we all deserve God's judgment. As sinners, and before knowing Jesus as our personal Savior, we were under the wrath of God. The law condemned us to eternal judgment. And yet, we see that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He fulfilled the law. He's the righteous one. He's the fulfillment. Now, the law is still good and teaches us a lot of what, what God is like and truths about God and many good, important uh, things. There's nothing wrong with the law, but the law also condemned us as sinners and showed us that we deserve God's judgment. But Jesus Christ, the righteous one, hung on the cross and paid the penalty. And then after death on the third day, rose again in victory. And it's because of his righteousness the law was fulfilled so that by taking Jesus as our personal Savior, trusting him alone, it's his righteousness that we're robed in. It's his blood that was a payment for our sin, that covered all of our sin so that we could know that we have his righteous standing before God the Father He's the righteous one. We're complete in him because he is our righteousness. Every believer can say that. Verse 14 talked about how at the cross, uh, he dealt 
His payment satisfied the wrath of God against sin. He, he was the fulfillment of what we owe a holy God. We see in verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Again, he showed that he is over every, everything in the spirit world, but especially I'm thinking here of conquering, defeating, disarming the evil spirits. The believer is safe in Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's not a safe place to be outside of Jesus Christ. It's a place of being open to the deceits, to the delusions of the evil spirits. But to be safe in Jesus Christ, no spirit can touch us any more than God himself allows. And God will work good out of that as we trust him, uh, we are safe in Christ as a believer. It's a marvelous place to be, but it's a frightening place to be outside of Jesus Christ. Oh, flee to Jesus Christ. If you're not sure you're safe today, don't put that off. Respond to his love that sent him to the cross to be the payment for your sin. Open your heart to him. The good news of the gospel, open your heart to that and know the wondrous joy of being safe in Jesus, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need fear, no, nothing in the spirit world as we are secure in him. Christ offers us his completeness. Chapter 2 spends time on that, but let me just look back to chapter 1 and verse 14 and let that summarize for us. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It does not say that we have redemption through his blood plus the rituals that the false teachers were tempting them to, to follow, to go back to? No, if they're safe in Jesus, they don't need to go back to rituals. You know, it's said to be the shadow. As we read about what Jesus Christ did, can we read from verse 16? Let, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or in the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Okay, there were various things in the Israelite calendar that taught important lessons, but they were pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. And he's the fulfillment of these pictures, of these shadows. Would you look in verse 17? which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. A shadow of things to come. I one time was uh, close to Kruger Park, and a, my family was going to see some of the animals. And I was sitting on the porch of a house, enjoying some time reading, and all of a sudden 
the whole porch became dark and I knew it was a shadow. Okay, that had my attention. What is that? Because I'm not talking about fences and things. I mean, something was right there, very close to me. And I look up and it's the only thing it could be probably. It was a giraffe. And uh, okay, that's special. There's a giraffe eating, the, you know, eating from this tree right here. This, this is amazing. Well, then the little giraffe stepped out beside its mother and started eating as well. And, you know, that's such a special time just to watch uh, some of God's creatures and, uh, that, are, that are allowing you to be that close to them. But what did I not do? Now, at first, that shadow got my attention, right? But when the giraffe stepped up there, did I focus back on the shadow saying, what amazing shadows? <laughs> not at all. My focus was on what? These beautiful creatures. That had all my attention. The shadow told me something's coming. But when it came, don't spend your time looking at the shadow. And the rituals are the same. You know, there's certain things that were even ordained by God for Israel to go through at the temple and at the tabernacle and certain feast days and certain this and certain that and certain foods to eat and certain not to. And Christ fulfilled the law. We don't have a legal list to keep to help add to what Christ did for us to earn, to merit our forgiveness from God. No, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness. It's him. He's the savior. And we put our faith in him. And we don't go back to the shadows of rituals and such things. If we're safe in Jesus Christ, we are not honoring him and our position in him as a Christian if we fear the things we once feared in the world around us. No, he's honored as we rejoice in the security that we have in him. And with all our heart, we want to live for him. And we see finally that Christ is our sanctification for the believer. He helps us live and grow in grace day by day so that we might more and more put on display the reality of the good news of the gospel. I'm just going to read from us from Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Aren't you thankful for every believer in Jesus Christ that we can say, I'm not who I was? And that there's a sense of being dead in, in Christ and risen with new life in Christ because of what he did for us. We need to set our affections on things above and not be overwhelmed with things on this earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 
We're saved when we come to find our completeness in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. We put our trust in Him alone. We don't add to that our good efforts, rituals, whatever it may be. We come to find Him as the only Savior. We come to rest our souls in Him, trusting Him alone. In that sense, receiving His forgiveness. Receiving Uh, what he accomplished on the cross, experiencing the new birth. And then, oh, that we live like it says here in the following verses, learning to die to self day by day, learning to to put on Christ and to live out the, the reality of what the gospel is and our relationship to God. You know, there was a beautiful picture of this long ago, I have a little book that tells a story about a missionary lady who was a a doctor and she went to the Congo back in, I believe it was 1927, and she arrived and she was excited to be there and she had some lines of people coming that she could help medically and then she would share the good news with them as well about Jesus. She was loving that, but she had a fear in the back of her mind. And that's that one day a leper would be in that line. And eventually her fear became reality. And she could tell just by some swollen features that there was a man back there that was a leper. And she did all she could to avoid that. She didn't even talk to him that day. Uh, She kind of avoided him. She was fearful of the disease herself. What if I catch that? But she was also fearful. If if I'm able to help him, we're going to have hundreds, then we're going to have thousands of lepers coming. And what are we going to do? How are we going to help? But underlining all of that was a fear towards leprosy itself. She, made, she, she found a place for the man to stay for the night. The next day, it went all day long. She still was avoiding. God was dealing with her. And God helped her to know that when I get your heart... <laughs> When you really give me your heart in this matter, she was a believer, but I mean, give me your heart in this matter. When I can win you, uh, then Edith, okay? When I can win you, Edith, then, then I can win that leper. And uh, through you, you can share the good news with him. Well, God won out, of course. Uh, and she was able to help him medically, and over time, he came to know Jesus as his personal Savior. Well, he began thinking of things right away in his life that did not fit being a believer in Jesus Christ. And one of the very first things is he remembered that the way he earned a livelihood. Now, it was not easy for him in the situation he was in. No one would hire him for work. And so what many of the lepers would do in, uh, in the colonies that they lived in, or villages that they kind of uh, congregated in, lived together in, is they would grow a plant that was used as a drug. It was illegal. It, it, it was very destructive in people's lives, but it was their way to, you know, to get some food every day and to, in place of a job that they couldn't get. And so, but he started thinking, should a Christian be growing something that's, that's, that's putting people under addiction and destroying their lives? And, but how am I going to eat? How am I going to get any food? But remember that word faith? 
he came to Edith one day and said, I have to get rid of this. This is not right. She encouraged him, well, follow the Lord. The Lord's going to take care of you. He went back home. He, uh, he took all the dried of this particular plant in his house, took it out. He started pulling up the rest in his garden. Other, uh, people living around began to come and watch. And what are you doing? And as he lit it on fire, they were shocked. They, they, they you know, they made fun of him some, they, but they were mostly shocked and said, what are you, how are you going to eat? And he let them know, I'm going to trust my Lord Jesus. I'm going to trust my God to look after me. I'm a Christian now. Can you imagine what a powerful testimony that was? As they saw a man whom God did begin to provide what he needed without being involved in something that was destructive to other people's lives. Well, he came to Edith one day as well, and he uh, said to her, there's a village about uh, 25 kilometers away that has not yet heard about Jesus. I want to go share him. I want to go bring people so you can tell them about Jesus. She's looking at his swollen feet. She knows the pain of every step that he takes. Some days he cannot even walk. But she said, do, do what's in your heart. How, how could she say otherwise? This man, Bandangama was his name. This man would walk 25 kilometers and go and bring people back to hear the gospel message. He would continue in pain to stand and translate so that they could understand the good news of the gospel. He saw many one to Christ. And Edith later wrote in a book, she said that in spite of his swollen features from the leprosy that he had, there was a beauty, there was a joy of the Lord that radiated from his face that just drew people to know the source of where he had that joy. God used someone whose heart was showing the genuineness of the gospel, was showing true Christianity. It wasn't artificial. It wasn't fake. He let go of the old. He went forward with Christ and saw himself, his completeness in Jesus Christ. And he soon after no longer had swollen feet. You say, was he healed? Well, you could call going to heaven being healed. It's complete healing. God took him home and he no longer suffered anymore. And he was a powerful testimony to bring many to Jesus Christ. And Edith later on had some news herself from a doctor saying, you're not going to live long if you, if you continue. You have a disease. You have six months to live. If you, if you continue, you need to, you need to, uh, you, you know, you need to, 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 to go back to your home country and you need to just be there the rest of your life. Just enjoy family, you know. She said, I can't do that. The doctor said, but don't you understand? I'm talking, you only have six months if you don't stop. And her answer was, but doctor, you don't understand. The lepers are my life. God had so worked in her heart and her growth in grace that she went from being afraid of one person because of the hundreds and later the thousands. Well, you know what? There were hundreds and there were later thousands that were helped medically 
and that heard the good news. I don't know how many received Jesus Christ as their Savior, but literally thousands heard eventually through those medical missions because she let God get a hold of her heart in an area that was a fear for her. Believer in Jesus Christ, what what are you struggling with this morning? What might be a, a, a fear in your life? We're safe in Jesus Christ. He's over all. Do you know we can rest in our Savior today? We can find His completeness to meet our spiritual need. If you're not safe in Jesus Christ, please do not feel safe because you're coming to church, because you're sitting under the preaching of God's Word regularly. No, you're only safe when you're safe in Him when he's your savior, when you experience the new birth and all that he did becomes good for you and he is truly then your savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then I'm gonna ask, uh, we'll close after that. Father, we, we pray as we think of the false teaching coming to the church at Colossae. They were being tempted to fear the spirits in the unseen world. But Lord, we know that it was those evil spirits in the unseen world that were were devising the false religion to entrap them. It was the very spirits that they were fearing and that they were offered a a religious escape from those fears. That in itself was actually bringing them into more bondage because it was false. It was the devil's lie. Father, we pray that the gospel would be pure and clear and that those who are not safe in Christ would understand that they'll only be saved when they come to see that Christ is a complete Savior. They can trust Him alone. They can be born again. Father, we pray that if anyone is under the sound of my voice, whether now or through recording later, that does not know Jesus as personal Savior, that they would flee to Him They'd seek out a believer right away who can open a Bible and help them with a personal decision to trust Christ. We pray for each believer here as well. Lord, help us. We have our fears. We have our struggles. Help us to find our completeness day after day by looking to Jesus Christ. He's a complete Savior. Oh, may we find our completeness in him. Amen.